Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, great to see you. This is um, the last time that Grace and I will be here for a few months, for, yeah, for three months, because I'm starting a sabbatical next Sunday. So I'll preach at Alder Road next Sunday, drop the mic and walk out, <laughs> and not, not be back to the end of August, uh, although we are planning to appear at the church camp. So we'll see you there. So yeah, getting ready for that, feeling a little bit uh, anxious and, uh, and all the rest about being away for three months, but trusting that God will speak to us and help us as we seek him for next phase of ministry and life. So I wanted to be here this morning. It's our chance to say goodbye to you and, um, and see people before we depart. As Nathaniel said, we're starting a new series today. Um, Christians are believers. That's uh, one of the terms that we use to describe ourselves. You're are you a believer? Are you a, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of, of Christ? And people believe all kinds of things. Some things that people believe are true. Some things that people believe are, are not true. But really, we want to have the beliefs, any beliefs that we hold, we want to be founded on solid ground. And we don't want to be gullible in our beliefs. We want our beliefs to have some solid, rational basis. And the series that we're starting in the Gospel of John, hopefully will help us to understand more of the rational belief that Christians have, why our faith, why our belief makes sense. The, the purpose of the Gospel of John is exactly to do that, to explain why Christian belief makes sense. Uh, towards the end of the Gospel, John writes this, that Jesus performed many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The reason the Gospel of John is written is so that you may believe in Jesus and that having believed in Jesus, you'd continue to believe and find life in his name. So this is a, a series which is going to run between now and uh, the end of the year. And, and our hope is as we go through John, it will both speak to those who don't yet believe in Jesus to help show why belief in Jesus makes sense and why it's good news. But also it's a series for those of us who do believe, showing why we should continue in belief. Now, <clears throat> I know that um, I wasn't here because I was at Alder Road, but I know the guys were starting this morning with speaking about, about Shirley Ann. And uh, on uh, Wednesday morning, Richard and Victoria and I had the privilege of, of being with Shirley just a couple of hours before she died. We left just as, as Ian arrived. And one of the amazing things about that time was to see what John says there in action. He writes that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And, and the reality was that as we sat with, with Shirley, we saw that she had belief in Jesus, and that by believing in him, she had life. That even as her mortal body was perishing, her life in Christ was strong. And uh, that was a very great privilege to sit with her and pray with her and hear her talk about her plans, what she'd like for her funeral, and to talk about all of you and how much she longed to see you and, and to see the reality of the life of Christ at work in her. That's why we're doing this series. Now, a moment like that is very powerful to see what belief in Jesus means as somebody's about to go and be with Jesus. It's very powerful. But for all of us, for every day of our lives, for however long God gives us breath in our bodies, we're called to believe in Jesus and to go on believing, because that's how we have life. 
So that's the aim of this series. That's what we're hoping to achieve. And we're starting at the beginning in John chapter 1, page 1063. And this is one of the most is one of the most dramatic and exciting parts of Scripture. I've called this message Lights, Camera, Action. And it's that kind of Scripture. The lights are coming on, the cameras are rolling, and there's amazing action unfolding. And uh, it's such an incredible portion of Scripture. I can't possibly do it justice in one message, but we'll uh, see what we can do in pulling some things out of it and to help us uh, start of us grace to come and read these verses to us. was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thanks, Grace. These are verses that we often read at Christmas time. Um, end of December last year, we had our traditional carol service in this building. And I think it was Samuel Bertie who read this portion of scripture, standing about where I am now. And I remember that being a particularly weighty moment that at the end of that service, where we sing and read and speak the story of Christ coming to the earth and all that means. There just seems to be a particular weightiness as, as uh, Samuel read this scripture from, from John and I was uh, standing just behind him here and I, I could hear this sort of uh, audible 
sigh from the congregation as he read it. And it was that register of something which was so beautiful. This is a beautiful portion of scripture and also something which is so true. So beautiful and so true, this portion of scripture. What we see here is we do see the lights coming on. We see the cameras rolling. We see action unfolding. There's hope here as well as some sorrow and great promises of what God will do. So First of all, let's think about how the lights have come on, about the hope that is ours. What, what you believe about, or what you understand, what you know about your origins will shape how you think about the rest of life. That's true for us personally in terms of our family history, how you understand yourself, where you came from, who you descended from, who you related to, how you grew up, all those experiences of life shape you, make you the person you are to, a, to some extent. My dad has just published his biography, This Side of the Door, available at all good booksellers. Well, you get it on Amazon anyway. Um, <laughs> edited by uh, my daughter, Georgina. And uh, in that, he tells some things I didn't know, actually. It was quite interesting. But if you wanted to understand my dad, which some of you might want to, if you, want, if you wanted to understand me, actually, if you wanted to understand this church, because there's quite a lot about this church in here, then you might find reading This Side of the Door by John Hosier quite helpful. Understanding your family helps understand who you are. But beyond that, thinking about our origins, not just in terms of who your parents are, who your family are, but the origins of the universe, of the earth, of, of you and of me, how you understand that shapes how you think about how we live life on this earth. Uh, in current scientific thinking, there are a number of theories about the origins of the universe, but the one which seems to have the most weight of consensus behind it is this concept of the initial singularity. And uh, science tells us the initial singularity was a, I don't really know who understands it, an object perhaps the same kind of size as you and me, a human-sized object, nothing bigger than that. And within that object, within that initial singularity was contained all the matter and energy of what now is the unfathomably, immeasurably, infinitely huge universe. All the matter, all the energy of the universe, all the countless solar systems, all the hundreds of billions of stars and the hundreds of billions of galaxies, all of it contained within the initial singularity, one small object. And at the moment of the Big Bang, that initial singularity expanded at breathtaking speed and the universe was formed. Now that is such a crazy thing to try and get your head around, that the whole universe in its vastness was originally in one small object, contained in one small object. It's almost unbelievable to try and believe that. That's what science tells us. But what you believe about your origins, about our origins, will shape how you think about the rest of life. And if, if your belief is in a godless origin, if you believe that somehow the initial singularity somehow just was, that will affect how you live life on this planet. And if you believe that however the universe started, if actually the initial singularity was caused by a loving creator, that will shape how you think about life on this planet as well. It shapes all your morals, your values, your, your way of looking at things. Belief in a loving creator, I believe, results in very different outcomes from belief in a godless existence. You see it in, in things, just everyday things like art and architecture, that in cultures where there's been a belief in a loving creator, those cultures have tended to create beautiful things, beautiful objects, beautiful images, beautiful buildings. 
We, we live in an age which, by and large, has rejected belief in a loving creator, and what we produce in our age tends to be much more functional, actually often much more brutal, much more ugly. What you believe about your origins will shape how you live your life now. Belief in a creator, in the end, creates a sense of accountability. Who are the human race answerable to? If there is no God, we are answerable to no one. And that means that we do what we like, which inevitably ends up in things which are destructive. If we believe a creator lies behind it all, that makes us accountable to that creator. And so I believe that you can't really have a truly satisfying, actually you can't have a truly rational system of morality without belief in a creator who made it all and to whom we are accountable. Belief in a, belief in a loving creator causes us to be creators ourselves in creating things which are good and nourishing and beautiful. And this is where John begins his gospel, right at the beginning. It all begins with God. First three words of this gospel, in the beginning. That's the same opening as the first book of the Bible has. Genesis, the first book in the Bible. First three words, in the beginning. Now in the Hebrew language, which Genesis was written in, those three words are just one word, Bereshith. Bereshith, in the beginning. And the book of Genesis begins... In the beginning, Bereshith, God created. The reason the universe is here, the reason you're here, is because God created. John starts in a very similar place, but he then goes in a slightly different direction. John says, in the beginning, God was. What John does is to go behind and beyond the story of creation itself. He, he goes even beyond the initial singularity. He goes beyond that to the one who created it all. In the beginning, God was. And what we see here is not just that the lights are coming on, but we see the one who is light. Right at the beginning of this gospel, John is laying down belief claims. If you want to see the light, if you want to know who the light is, what the light is, you need to see Jesus. Now, John doesn't name Jesus as Jesus here. That happens a few verses later. John names Jesus as the Word, as the, as the Logos, the one who is the light, the Word that spoke creation into being. John says, in the beginning, God was. God was the Word. God was the light, the one who spoke all things into life. Without the Word, there would have been no initial singularity. Without the Word, there would have been no universe. Without the Word, there would have been no planet Earth. Without the Word, there would have been no you. It's the first belief claim that John is making and wants us to see. And this word, this light, who spoke all things into being, took on flesh and walked among us. It's in the word made flesh that we see God. If you want to know who God is, see who Jesus is. And this breaking in of the light is announced by John. We have to be clear here, this might be confusing for some of you, because we've got two Johns in this story. There's John, the disciple, the apostle, who's the author, the source of this gospel that we're reading. And then there's John the Baptist, who has been described here. So John the disciple is talking about the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in advance of Jesus to declare, to witness to Jesus. John the Baptist came as a herald of the light. 
John announced that the lights are coming on. It says in verse 7, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. John's life, John's ministry, John's witness was witnessing to, showing, pointing to Jesus the light, the light of the world. Now everybody's life witnesses to something. Your your life just does. Everybody's life tells a story. John's life told a story about Jesus. And those of us who believe in Jesus are also called to witness to Jesus in a way that helps others to believe in Jesus. Believe. It's the whole point of this gospel, that you may believe. The, The lights have come on. Believe in the one who is the light. Next, the cameras start to roll, and here we find some sorrow. This is, a, for many of us, a very familiar passage. It's a passage we read every carol service at Christmas, but we can become over-familiar with the gospel message. It is one of the challenges of Christmas itself. How do you make it seem fresh when you've told it so many times? It can become something which can seem small and trivial rather than huge and dramatic and life-changing. And we need to get over our familiarity and see again the wonder of this story. And we need to see the shock that is contained in this story. And the shock here is what John writes in verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The light has come into the world, taken on human flesh, walking amongst us, the one without whom nothing would be here. The world wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. But he is not recognized by the world he has made. The the cameras are rolling. The logos has entered the room, but the crowd are oblivious to who he is. The one who made it all, lit it all, unrecognized, announced by John, But Jesus doesn't appear like a movie star. He doesn't walk down the street and everybody's flocking after him, trying to get his autograph. He's unrecognized. And there's a painfulness about that, a sorrow about it. And that sorrow is made more acute, more painful, because of the very intimacy of it. It says in verse 11, he came to that which was his own. Another way of phrasing that is he he came into his own home. But his own did not receive him, did not recognize him. Jesus came to the people of Israel. He came to God's people, came to the ones who should have known him, but he was not received by them. Now imagine walking into your home and not being recognized, not being received. If you're you're the parents of teenagers, that might be somewhat familiar, but it's not how it's going to be. You're meant to walk into your home and you're recognized by those who belonged to your home. Jesus walked into his own home, but his own did not receive him. The light was shining, but people were still blind to it. And there's a sorrow about that, and there's the sorrow of that continuing rejection. That's a sorrow that we should feel. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, we should feel a sorrow about those who do not see Jesus, who have not yet seen the light, who have not yet recognized him for who he is. When we come to belief, I've seen this many times with people who come to faith, it suddenly feels so obvious. This might be your story. You come and see, you see who Jesus is, and it's like the, it is like the lights come on. Suddenly, 
This is so obvious. Why did I never see this before? Suddenly it all makes sense. Suddenly life makes sense in a way it hasn't before. The light is now shining. I, I see, I believe the lights have come on. And uh, I've spoken to many people who've experienced that. And at that moment when the, you suddenly get this fresh revelation, see who Jesus is, it's why doesn't everybody see this? Why doesn't everybody believe this? It seems so obvious. The reality is that we are living in an era, we're living in a time when it can feel like those who do believe in Jesus can feel very small in number. The reality is that, that we are a minority group, that we believers are a minority group in our society at this time. But do not fear, the light shines and it will be seen. The, uh, the writer G.K. Chesterton once talked about how he discerned there about five times in the history of the church when it felt like the church had gone to the dogs. But each of those five times, in the end, it was the dogs who died. And we're in an era where it might feel like the church is going to the dogs, that there's not so many of us who believe. But fear not, it's the dogs who will die, not the church. Because the light does shine, and God is at work. And yet we should feel a sorrow at those who do not see the light. We should feel a sorrow at those who do not receive Jesus. We should feel a sorrow for those who do not recognize him. And thirdly, we see the action of God. See God's promise. The uh, uh, writer of an excellent commentary on John, F.D. Brunner, makes an observation that in Western movies, the hero always comes from outside of town. You know the the plot of Western movies, and it's not just Western movies, it's lots of movies. The hero doesn't come from within, the hero comes from outside. So, classic Western movie, you've got a small town out in the middle of nowhere, and the baddies have come in, the guys with the black hats have taken over, and they're bullying and oppressing all the people in the town, and the people in the town seem powerless to resist them, and then suddenly, out of the desert dust, riding out of the sunset, comes the stone-jawed hero who's going to come into town and clear out the bad guys and set things to rights. So the hero comes from outside of town. And, and Brunner asks this question, did, did Hollywood Westerns pick up this theme from the gospel, or more simply, is the necessity of outside help for the human predicament imprinted deep inside the human genome? Is there this sense in us, just in us, that we know that we need outside help? help. And I think most of us do know that, and often we can try and cover that up with all kinds of other stuff, but most people seem to know they need some help. You need some help. You need somebody to come and set things straight, to make sense of the chaos of life, maybe to be rescued from something, from a particular enemy or problem. We know that we can't do it ourselves. We need outside help. And Jesus was the one who walked into town. He walked into town unrecognized, but he's still the hero who can rescue us. And we need to see the promise of what he is doing. We need to see, see God's action in how he gives us the right to become children of God. Gave us the right to become children of God. Last week at the king's coronation, once they'd all finished at the abbey and then went back to Buckingham Palace, the, the family appeared on the balcony. They had a right to be there, apart from the couple who've been a bit naughty and no longer have the right to be on the balcony. 
But the rest were there because they had the right to be on the balcony. Why? Because they're family. Because you're related. They're related to the king. That means that they could go on that patch of real estate and wave to the world something which the rest of us never could do. We have no right to go there, but they could because they were family. And John tells us that there's something even more wonderful for the Christian. That being declared a child of God is not just an accident of nature, but is a result of God's call and choice of you. That you are granted the right to be God's child. You put your belief in Jesus. You're granted the right to be called God's child. Uh, Later in John, in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about a vine when the branches in the vine being full of the the, the lifeblood of the vine. That's what sustains them and keeps them alive. And that's what happens to us when we put our belief in Jesus. We're grafted into the vine. We're declared, given a right to be called God's children. We're not spiritual orphans. We're adopted sons and daughters of the king. And that answers a big question for us. It seems to me that the the biggest question of, of our age, of our time in history, is this question of identity. Who am I? And where do I fit? That seems to be the overarching question that people are asking in our culture at this time, this, this uncertainty about identity and competing for identity, fighting for it. Now, if you're a believer, that question is answered, it's settled. Who is the believer? What are you if you're a believer? You're declared to be one who has the right to be known as a child of God. Your identity is settled. It's fixed by God on high. Augustine, the great teacher of the church, writing in the 5th century, said, God became human so that humans could become again in reality human. God became human so that we could in reality become human. If your life question, if your issue is this question of identity, who am I, where do I fit? The answer is found in Christ through whom you can be given the right to be declared a child of God. This is what belief in Jesus does. This is what believing does. It gives us this guarantee of being declared the children of God. Amazing. We see God's action in that there is grace upon grace for us. We are given grace out of the fullness of God's grace. Says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, and he shares this grace with us out of the fullness of his grace. We have all received grace in place of grace already given. There's a piling up of grace upon grace. Unmerited, unearned, unlooked for, undeserved favor and love from God belongs to those who believe in God, those who are declared to be his children. This this grace is not skinny, it's not weedy, it's not oat milk, semi-skinned water. It is full-fat Guernsey double cream. Sink your teeth into the good stuff. Fat grace. That is ours in Christ Jesus. There's a fullness of it, not a limitation of it. There's not a scarcity of it. God's grace isn't a limited good which is going to run out. It's not that if there's another three million Christians, God's grace will get diminished. There won't be enough to go around. No, there's a fullness of grace for God's people. A fullness of grace. John writes this gospel that you may believe. 
We need to believe. Believe there is sufficient grace. You come in here this morning, maybe you feel a grace depletion in your life. Maybe you're not feeling that sense of God's favor and blessing upon you. You need to believe. Believe and go on believing. Believe so that you know might have life. Believe that there is a sufficiency of grace for you in your situation, whatever it might be, whatever circumstance you might be facing, whatever lack, whatever limitation, wherever you're feeling thin and diminished, there is a fullness of God's grace for you. There's grace for today. Whatever today brings, tomorrow, whatever tomorrow brings, there's going to be sufficient grace for you. In every moment, there is sufficient grace, even in the hard times. Ian, here this morning, well done, mate. Sufficient grace for you, even today. This is a reality of our experience as children of God. Grace for us. Believe that there is eternal love. You might come in today feeling a lack of love. Believe that there's eternal love from the God who created all things, that the one who stands behind our existence, the one who stands even behind the initial singularity, has eternal love for you. Think of those verses in Titus which speak about how before the beginning of time, God who does not lie promised eternal life to those who know him. There is this promise of love for you, eternal love. And as a promise of certain security, God, who made all things, the Word who spoke all things into being, the one who is the light of the world, is the one who has declared that you are a child of God by right, the one who has sufficient fullness of grace for you. There's a security for us. If you come in feeling insecure, if you're feeling insecure in life, because of stuff that's going on in your own head, or stuff that's going on in your relationships, or stuff that's happening at work, What we need to do is believe. Believe Jesus. Believe in him because in him is life, in him is security, in him is love, in him is grace upon grace. And we see the action of God in that we are enabled to know God because of Jesus. The invisible God has been made visible in Christ who took on human flesh. John wrote this Gospel of John. John also wrote three letters which we have in the New Testament. And he starts his first letter with phrasing very similar to what he writes here in the Gospel, but also subtly different. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. What John says is that he and the other disciples... They actually looked upon God made flesh. They heard the word made flesh. They embraced the word made flesh. John and the other disciples knew what it was to be in a room with Jesus. They knew what it was to walk with Jesus. They knew what it was to eat with Jesus. They knew what it was to hear Jesus speak to them. They looked, they touched, they heard. And they tell us this is who Jesus is. If you want to know what God is like, see Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, read the Gospel of John. Read the stories of all that Jesus did. All the things, many things beyond these things Jesus did, but these are written that you may believe, and that having believed, you may go on believing. You want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. This is what the Gospel of John is all about, that you may believe. 
that you may believe. May we be a people who believe. May we be a people who go on believing. That every day our belief in Jesus would be real, strong, genuine. That we would know the security that is ours as children of God. We would know the love and the grace that is ours because of Christ Jesus. That we would, that we would feel that sorrow over those who do not yet believe because we know that believing is the best news that anybody can hear. And that we might stand in wonder at the one who is the light and has caused his light to shine even into our hearts. Let's believe in Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you would help us. But I pray that you would help us in our, in our living, <clears throat> in our day-to-day living, to know the life that is ours by right when we believe in you. I pray in this place, amongst this company of people, there'd be a belief which is strong and pure and joy-filled. I pray there'd be a belief which means that day by day we do lean on you and find grace sufficient for the day and all its troubles. I pray that there would be a belief in us which does provoke our hearts to sorrow over those who do not yet believe. Jesus, I pray there'd be a, a belief in us which settles the big questions of life, which gives us that clarity of identity and belonging in and home. Jesus, as we come back into worship now, as we come to take the bread and the wine, as we receive prayer for one another, I pray you'd minister to our our hearts, whatever it is we need to receive from you today. Light of the world, world, word of God. May we see you afresh, believe in you afresh, be fed by you afresh. I know the power of your life, your light, working in and through us, I pray. Amen.